do do your best C.S. Lewis. I allowed myself to prepare for confirmation, be confirmed, and make my first communion all in total disbelief, acting a part, eating and drinking my own condemnation, he says. <laughs> Oh, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a great moment in the film. I, I really enjoyed that. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to this week's Profile with me, Justin Briley, brought to you as ever in partnership with Premier Christianity magazine, the monthly mag with the best Christian journalism interviews, news and features out there. Uh, you can get a free sample copy at the website premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample and also see the great subscription offer they have on at the moment. Today on the show, I'm talking with Max McLean, star of the new C.S. Lewis movie, The Most Reluctant Convert. Uh, Max, welcome along. Uh, so good to have you with me. Let me do a little introduction to you, first of all. Um, you are the founder and artistic director of the Fellowship of Performing Arts, uh, I think based out in New York, but known all over the world for your productions, including, of course, many based on the writings and life of C.S. Lewis. And a new movie had just been released, The Most Reluctant Convert. Uh, we're going to be talking about that today. Um, and I believe being shown across uh, the USA in theatres and things like that. So welcome along to the show, Max. Thank you, Justin. I think this is the second time you've had me, I believe. I think it is. I think we, we last connected, I think, around the time that you were in London doing a performance of the Screwtape Letters, which I attended with my family. And we really enjoyed it. It was, I got a feeling it was something like Christmas 2017, maybe? 16, I think. 16 or 15, somewhere wow. there. Yeah, it's that, been a okay, while. Okay, that long ago. There uh -huh. you go. Um, I mean, and, and that alone sort of shows the way that you've been involved for so long in doing plays, productions around the writings and life of C.S. Lewis. Um, tell us, Max, before we get into this, um, the, 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 the new movie, um, did you grow up kind of with a love of acting? Was that something that was there right from the beginning? No, no. Uh, you know, I'm an immigrant. Uh, I came to America via the Statue of Liberty when I was four years old. In fact, uh, uh, we came at the West Side Passenger Terminal, uh, which happens to be about a 10-minute walk from where I currently live in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, so the first thing I had to do was master the English language. I've been working on it ever since. Uh, so uh, I, uh, my, my first involvement in theater was really in college, and that was to get over a fear of, socio uh, a fear of public speaking, sociophobia. So that's how I got into the theater. There you go. So it was actually to to overcome the the nerves of of speaking in public, and now it's more or less all you do for a living. It's all <laughs> I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell us about your Christian journey, though. Did that go hand in hand with getting into acting and drama? Well, that's very interesting because uh, I uh, I started uh, acting in my senior year of college, about twenty two years old, and then I had an adult conversion experience about a year later at 23. Uh, and it was uh, meeting a woman who, uh, if I wanted to be with her on Sunday, I would have to attend church, a very odd experience. Um, but what was not odd was, I mean, you know, the whole, the worship experience was odd 
except for some reason the uh, the, the Lord's Prayer uh, that had a haunting effect because I knew it, mm. and uh, so that had a that had an effect. Uh, and then met some of her friends who uh, I, I graduated from college with a history degree, and one of her friends uh, mentioned uh, that. You know, Jesus was a person in history, just like Lincoln, just like George Washington. Well, that was news to me because I thought Jesus was fairy tales. And and for some reason, that little twist, uh, you know, opened my mind to want to read the gospel. I've tried to read it in the past. It didn't get anywhere. Uh, and uh, the person of Jesus just overwhelmed me. And so mm. uh, my conversion came right around that time. Wow, that, that that would be an interesting film in itself, I imagine. But you've 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 obviously devoted so much of your life, in a way, to telling the story of C.S. Lewis and obviously uh, producing his works as well. When when do you first remember bumping into the works of C.S. Lewis, Max? Well, this this uh, person who I was uh, attracted to, uh, Sharon, who later became my wife. Uh, I, I had the conversion experience. I'd read the New Testament. I had the year prior read Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov, which had a huge impact on me. I don't know why, but I mean, it just hit me in a very deep place. Uh, and now I, well, I do know why, because it's probably the greatest Christian novel ever written. Uh, but I had no experience with C.S. Lewis. So uh, she thought, oh, I must be, you know, I, I would be into him. So uh, she gave me a copy of Surprised by Joy. I was 23 years old. I read it from cover to cover, and I must say, I don't think I understood a word of it. Uh, <laughs> it, it went by me like a freight train. Uh, but I, you know, I knew I was I was up against a massive intellect, and then and I said, I, I don't think this is it, and, and I, don't, I didn't get it. And it says, well, try this one. And it was a screw tape letters, and from page one, you know, the man in the British gets on the bus in the British Museum. I said, oh, I know this guy. <laughs> this guy is, uh, man, this guy has been in my life, you know, and, and, uh, and so, you know, Lewis's transparency, his, you know, he, he deals with sin at the, at the greed, at the spite level. <laughs> you know? And, and so, you know, not, you know, he doesn't, he's not after, you know, other people's sins, crimes of humanity and all that. He's like, you know, what did you do today that was so hurtful, yeah. spiteful and yeah. mean? And, and I said, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So well, that was my first introduction. I was going to say in that sense, you, you went straight to, to the meat in the sense that a lot of people, obviously, their first introduction to Lewis is, is the Narnia stories. I mean, had, right. had you come across those at that point? No, I hadn't even heard of them. So uh, right. so they they uh, uh, and, and I, I was never much attracted to at least I don't recall attracted to, to fantasy very much. Uh, so anyway, yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, so, so as your own faith developed, you obviously eventually founded the Fellowship of Performing Arts. What took you on that journey? Did you feel that there was a a need to see the Christian faith given this kind of a way of expression? You know, through the dramatic arts and so on. Um, yeah, it was sort of a backdoor thing because you know I, I did not grow up in the evangelical church, so I didn't get the memo that Christians weren't supposed to be actors. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and yet, you know, I, I, uh, I, I went to drama school in London and, and I went to the National Theatre, the Royal Shakespeare Theatre, to, uh, the Old Vic, the Royal Court, 
on an absolutely regular basis and and my 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 imagination was constantly being engaged and and I also you know as a new Christian I was really sensitive to to uh Christian themes you know in all of these works uh and and so the idea just popped into my head you know why aren't Christians doing this and they, and they were I mean there was a there was a group called Upstream that I think was doing really good work back then um in late seventies, uh, but not in America, at least not that I was aware of. And so the, 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 the idea of, uh, of, uh, of fellowship for performing arts emerged, you know, why not use the skills and techniques mm. developed in the theater mm. to, uh, present these, this worldview. And yeah. so that was the germ of the idea. And, and, uh, uh I was able to get, people to support the idea and, and that's where fellowship began yeah and i think one frankly one of the reasons it has been so successful and has gone around the world max is because you do it well and that's not true of all art produced under the christian banner uh, because sometimes uh, sadly it, it can just mimic the world and do a fairly substandard job of it can't it whereas we used to have it appears you know Christian art simply was the art of its time. And so Michelangelo, anyone was, you know, it, it was sublime. Yeah. What happened? How do, how do we kind of get back, to, if you like, to, to, to art that really is creative, engaging, aesthetically beautiful, that, that really honours God in that sense? Well, I, I, one of the things is, is that, you know, it all begins with the church and the church uh, in the main uh, doesn't produce uh artists, or at least it didn't. It's starting to now. I mean, it certainly produces musicians. Every time I watch uh, The Voice or America's Got Talent or, you know, you're seeing all of these people coming out of the church. So the, musically, that's that's still the case. We, sure. we produce some of the best. But, but theatrically, there's been such a suspicious element to it. Uh, and probably rightfully so. I mean, you, you probably know that that... Uh, you know, actors were not given burial rights. Uh, uh, you know, Augustine had horrible things to say about the theater. Uh, <laughs> so, so, uh, so that has a long tradition uh, uh, f- for that. And 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 then and then, of course, the the way it was redeemed uh, was for some kind of uh, evangelistic purpose, a, a gender-driven purpose. Now, mind you. Uh, all art has an agenda. There's, there's nothing. Mm. Uh, it's, it's not agenda free. Uh, but the, the, the question is, is, is how do you, uh, how do you articulate that agenda? And, and so, what Fellowship was trying to do was, uh, we wanted to. Uh, our, our mission was produce theater from a Christian worldview, meant to engage a diverse audience. That's, so it's a simple mission. Uh, and in order to do that, you had to select the right material. What material would would at least uh, uh, gain the uh, the respect, you know, uh, of of the argue, uh, of the uh, audience? And then you'd have to uh, uh, execute at the highest levels that your budgets will allow, so you could play the greater venues around the country. Because we 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 made it a point not to play churches. We uh, you know not that there's anything wrong with that. I, I, but we wanted to play in the marketplace of ideas where the other places were. Uh, and, and so to, to get the, uh, the uh, production values uh, 
up there was really, really important. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, we asked people to help us do it. And so that's that's why we're a fellowship uh, for performing arts. We, uh, it's a fellowship of people who believe art and theater from a uh, Christian worldview can engage the imagination and influence culture. Mm. Well, let, let's talk about the most reluctant convert. Um, so I think you've produced a number of different productions that are related to Lewis when when did you decide to actually produce a stage play that would reflect his own conversion sure, experience yeah, yeah uh, it began after uh, adapting screw tape letters and adapting the great divorce uh, for from the page to the stage both of those works have to do with spiritual warfare, you know, temptation, uh, kind of sins of commission and, and resisting the conscience, resisting the Holy Spirit, sins of, of omission. Uh, and in both cases, Lewis was so transparent about it. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and so he was using his own personal experience, his own emotional autobiography. And, uh, and so, uh, with that in mind, you know, we've done the two. I said, well, Lewis is always going back to his conversion. Uh, the, 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 the time where he was just resisting fighting. So that got me back to surprise by joy. And what I ended up doing was I didn't know, not that I knew screw tape would be, uh, or even the great divorce. I didn't think either one of those, they, they weren't obviously theatrical material, but, but they did, you know, if you worked at it and found the theatrical arc to it, you, you could get there. So I, I, I did try to do the same thing with Surprise by Joy. And actually, that was, a, that was actually simpler because, you know, it's a change story, you know, once mm. I was this, I was that. Uh, and what I ended up doing, and, you know, people say that, uh, you know, for playwrights, if you really want to understand a playwright, you you actually copy it out and try to figure out how he why he went this way instead of this way. So I actually did that with Surprise by Joy and got mm. really inside it. And uh, and from that, I was able to craft after many 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 attempts, so lots of development. In 2016, we did a stage production of it that ran in New York for 15 weeks and and plays at colleges and universities all over the country. Uh, we had a really good run with it. Of course, with the pandemic, it just shut down. But that's that was the history of uh, yeah. Most Reluctant yeah. Convert. Uh, how many people before the pandemic shut it down? How many people had it had it played to by that point? I would say roughly a, a, a hundred thousand people had seen it wow. in one way. We we had some some two hundred different perform, but more than that uh, yeah. around the country. Uh, and then you know, I mean, the pandemic just just shut us down. We had sure. two shows on tour. Uh, Most Reluctant Con was doing uh, around the colleges. And then we had a show in New York. We had a modern adaptation of Paradise Lost. And and all of that went from, you know, going 100 miles an hour to zero, just like that. It was like you hit yeah. a wall. Yeah. Well, we, we know the devastating effect that the pandemic has had on the, the theatre and performing arts world. And, and you were no different in that sense. Um, and many of those venues and companies only really just starting to, to claw their way back now. But I mean, you you pivoted, you know, quite quickly, actually, um, because it was was this film idea 
converting the stage play into a film was that something you already had on the agenda or was that something that that was a kind of fruit of the lockdown experience well uh norman and i uh norman stone who directed the piece uh, uh and you, you probably should say a little word about him but uh he's a he's a terrific filmmaker has uh, 40 years experience with the bbc and many others a couple of emmy awards a couple of bafta awards uh, he and I met at an arts conference about 10 years ago, and we hit it off right away. We have a similar uh, vision about what we want to do in film and art. And uh, <clears throat> about uh, in the fall of 19, uh, I called him and said, you know, this, this stage play is doing really well. Would you consider uh, talking, having a conversation about making a film of it? And he said, well, let me see the script. So I sent the script. He loved the script. And uh, so we started having conversations. Uh, and in January of 2020, you know, we made an agreement that he would do the kind of research that would be able to get us to a, a treatment that we could put a budget behind and decide to film it. But in my, in, in my idea, that was going to be, you know, 2022, 23 project. It was not anything immediate. And plus, we just had so many things going on. Yeah. And then with the shutdown, you know, that, you know, of course, everybody thought it was going to be short term. At least we did. You know, I don't know if you remember 15 days to flatten the curve. <laughs> oh, and I thought, what, 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 what am I going to do for the next two weeks? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and then all of a sudden it just got longer and longer. So uh, sometime and Norman and I were having regular conversations over Zoom and, and Skype. You know, he lives in Scotland. I live in New York. Uh, and, uh, he, I think sometime in June, he said, if, you know, the British film industry is going to open back up in August under very strict conditions, and he could get a very good crew together and, uh, and get a very good cast because nobody had worked since March. Mm. And, uh, uh, if we were prepared to act now, and I said, well, I asked him to confirm all that and then make sure the locations we needed were available uh, and I would go to the board and see if I could get the funding to put it in the can, right? Mm. You know, and we worry about post-production and, and distribution later, but just get it in the can. Uh, we got the rights from C.S. Lewis Estate uh, shortly thereafter, uh, have a good relationship with them. And uh, I remember on August 31st of 2020, I got on a plane as big as Air Force One with <laughs> with fewer people on it. <laughs> from uh from newark to uh heathrow uh, went to, went into quarantine for two weeks began filming mid-september finished filming mid-october and uh, came back and here we are a year later yeah wow it's... well i remember the the facebook updates we're friends on facebook max and 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 obviously you 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 sort of it was great to see the way it unfolded it looked terribly exciting when i was seeing you in various parts of oxford filming and then i realized michael ward who's a, a mutual friend of ours was um who, he's a brilliant c.s lewis scholar but also has a penchant for a bit of acting himself and and was playing the part of the the church of england vicar and uh, i so so it all looked great fun and i i'm just stunned that it came together so quickly though it's almost miraculous these things never come together that quickly normally, well part they? of it uh, norman works extraordinarily fast and, and and you know because he sees everything in his head uh, you know he sees the pictures and we already had the script was already 
you know, such because it's been fine tuned mm, from mm. from all these theatrical productions. So those two things were were uh, uh, there, and then you know we had to take one one of the uh, things we had to do was take COVID tests like all the time, and they were just mm. uh, they were just so gosh, it was so tedious. <laughs> and uh, anyway, but any one of those tests, I mean, uh, you know, we had. Uh, we had 17 actors, 190 extras. So if, if an extra got a positive test, it probably wouldn't have done much. But if I got a positive test or Norman or if the cinematographer, it would have shut us down for weeks. And, mm-hmm. you know, and we would have just sat there and waited. And I don't, you know, I don't know what would have happened because shortly thereafter, like in mid October, like by the end of November, there was a second wave came and they shut down filming again. So we probably wouldn't have been able to finish the film. Yeah. So uh, it, it certainly has a providential element uh, yeah. running right through it. Tell us about the film then, because obviously shooting a film is very different to putting on a, a stage play, which is essentially a, a one man stage play to a large degree. Um, this obviously involves multiple characters and so on. You're you're still very much Lewis, um, but the older Lewis narrating. And I, I've had the pleasure of seeing the film and I really loved it. Fantastic film. It was just so good. And and it strikes me that the script itself draws from all kinds of at points. I was like, oh, now now this is surprised by joy, and oh, oh, now this is from this other. So so tell us about yeah how how the script itself came together. What that was like then turning that into something that was obviously shot shot for a movie yeah. instead. Well, the uh, I, the script emerged uh, primarily from surprised by joy. Uh, but it also uh, had many other sources. The problem of pain, like the opening chapter, when I was an atheist. So you you get this empirical view of of the experience of being on this planet alone and just looking out. You know, the, uh, the universe is dark, cold, uh, empty space. I mean, that's our that's our empirical experience. So if you just use that, that's what you see. And so we start from that Lewis's empiricism and, you know, and he comes to it and then you, you get, uh, he, he begins to play with, with the, with the statement, I think of brilliant poetic prose, either there's no God behind the universe, a God indifferent to good and evil or worse, an evil God. Uh, that was Lewis's empirical view, uh, of, of the universe. And that's kind of the starting place of, of the play. Uh, so you, you get that, uh, Lewis giving you, this is where I was mentally at, at, at a point in time when I began to change. And, and then he starts talking about what contributed to that. Well, my mother died when I was nine of cancer. I prayed, nothing happened. You know, prayer doesn't work. It was his conclusion. And then, uh, and then he, uh, he, he talks about his, his religious education, where there's a thousand and one uh, false religions, and ours is completely true. <laughs> and he says, "On what grounds?" You know. So, he, because he was a very smart uh, boy, and and he was kind of a lout. Uh, he was, you know, a big personality. His father was was a huge personality. Uh, in addition to his mother passing of cancer, he had a terrible relationship with his father. Uh, uh, who uh, uh, Lewis regrets to the end of his life. Uh, he he was involved in the butchery of World War One, 
So how could he come to any kind of other conclusion? You know, it, it says uh, there's a wonderful line uh, that when he returned to Oxford, when he returned to Oxford, they, they read the minutes of their last meeting from 1914. He returned in 1919. They read the minutes of his last meeting from 1914. And he said, you know, he he said, never had I considered how big of a waste yes. the whole experience was. And somebody asked him, it says, uh, were you much frightened in France, meaning in the, in the trenches? And he said, all the time, but I never sank so low as to pray. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, there's just I mean, so much material to draw on, isn't there? And and the way you weave it together in the film is is it's just wonderful. Um, it, it's I mean, what what is it like for you when you step into those shoes, when you step into that personality, when you step into the costume? I mean, just when you started quoting, you were immediately turning on the C.S. Lewis just now. It, do you feel like you yourself convert from Max McLean into something like C.S. Lewis? Well, uh, you, you, you know, uh, it's really a lot of fun to be that smart for 90 minutes. I mean, <laughs> to, to be able to say those words, uh, you know, and, and to, to, to just get into that skin. I mean, obviously I respect him immensely. And so, you know, he, it's, it's almost like, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the desire to be greater than you are, uh, on so many levels. I mean, not the least of which, you know, he, he took, uh, the idea of right and wrong so seriously, you know, because he came to the conclusion that, you know, uh, if the universe is just biochemistry and physics, then why should I be concerned about any kind of moral imperative? And yet he found that he was. And mm -hmm. so he wanted to, you know, track that. And, uh, and that, that uh you know i i would say that the uh where he helps me the most is his his honesty coming from this this dead empiricism uh which really leads nowhere and and yet intellectually he thought that was justified then going to this other place because there was something drawing him there. Uh, some of it was uh, this, uh, uh, the apologetic, I suppose, the dialectic of desire, the dialectic of reason. Uh, those two things joined together were probably the biggest drivers to his mm. conversion. And of course, mm. that led him to just God, where he said, my yeah. religion was like that of the Jews. Yes. Uh, so he couldn't come to terms with Christ until a little bit later. Well, well, we'll talk about that in the next segment of the show, because uh, as has been said, shared in people like Alistair McGrath and others who have who've written extensively on Lewis, that there was a 
multiple stages, as it were, to his conversion. A bit of a special today. I'm joined by Max McLean. He's the founder and artistic director of the Fellowship of Performing Arts and stars in and has been part of the screenplay and everything else, obviously, for this new film, The Most Reluctant Convert, directed by Norman Stone. Uh, if you want to find out more about it, cslewismovie.com. That's the best place to find out how you can watch it at your earliest convenience. It is showing in theatres across the US during November. But we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, this is Sam from Premier Christianity. Would you like a free copy of the book that everyone is talking about right now? John Mark Comer's Live No Lies. I'm reading it myself and really enjoying it. You can get it when you subscribe to Premier Christianity magazine. You'll get the UK's leading Christian magazine delivered through your letterbox each and every month. Plus this book. Take out the offer now at premierchristianity.com. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome back to this week's Profile. I'm Justin Briley, bringing you today's show in partnership with Premier Christianity magazine, your monthly source of brilliant Christian journalism. You can get a free sample copy at premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample and see the great subscription offer they're currently running and today i'm in conversation with max mclean star of the new c.s lewis movie the most reluctant convert let's get a little taster of the film i never cared for my name clive staples the world came to know me as c.s lewis perhaps you read my books the lion the witch and the wardrobe is the most famous But there's one story that's not so well known. It's my story. And who better to tell it than me? Max, tell us um, about the two other actors, key actors, because obviously this traces the journey through Lewis's life. You're there as sort of introducing and then it's a beautiful way in which you weave yourself into the scenes with the other Lewises. It's very, very well done. But tell us about these other actors who... I think that the younger of which is, has gone on to become quite quite a name recently, haven't they? Yes, yes. So the, the structure of the film is is uh, we begin to live in Lewis's memories. Uh, Lewis is probably, uh, this, the his age would be around 52, uh, right around 1950. The reason we select 1950 is because it's pre-Narnia and it's pre-Joy Davidman. Both of those mm. things are yet to come. But uh, Lewis had already uh, begun writing his autobiography, and uh, uh, and he looks back on the time between 1908, when his mother died of cancer, when he was nine, to 1931, when he took communion for the first time since he was a child at Holy Trinity Church in, in uh, uh, Headington, uh, just outside Oxford, uh, Christmas in 1931. He was 32 years old. So that's the period. And so when he looks back, we we cast two actors introducing a, a, a marvelous boy actor to play the boy Lewis named Eddie Ray Martin, who's just uh, just so charming and kind of a bit of an urchin. He, he, he looks to me like what Lewis would look like at <laughs> nine years old. And of course, you know, the, the struggles with his father come through and, and the devastation of the loss of his mother comes through. Uh, then by the time the story gets to about 16 years old, the actor changes 
to uh, an older, uh, a young Lewis, the Lewis that goes off to war, the Lewis that becomes the young scholar at Oxford. And uh, that's played by Nicholas Ralph, who, uh, who's making a name for himself in Britain and in America as James Harriet in All Creatures Great and Small. Uh, and he's just marvelous as the young Lewis. And, and, uh, and so the play, uh, the film goes back and forth, uh, into, and of course we cast, uh, the mother, the father. We have the great knock. We have Tolkien, Dyson, and, uh, uh, Barfield are all part of the, of yeah, the movie. that, that's the lovely thing. You, you, lots of these characters who were so influential on Lewis are brought to life as well in, in the course of the film. Um, you mentioned there the, his first communion and, and I'd forgotten this from, from having obviously read it at some point in, in his memoirs and so on. But, but he, he regarded this as a, a terrible thing that he did to, to have gone through confirmation and communion without actually having believed any of it. Um, I mean, just describe what Lewis says about this and, and why he, felt so guilty afterwards about this well <laughs> he he said it was the worst act of his life <laughs> he's uh and i and i uh you know sometimes the let me see if i can actually find uh the the words the worst act of his life was uh uh yes do, do your could, best cs yeah he said <laughs> we'll, we'll get a taster here uh he says the I allowed myself to prepare for confirmation, be confirmed, and make my first communion all in total disbelief, acting apart, eating and drinking my own condemnation, he says. <laughs> I knew I was acting a lie. I simply could not tell my father my real views. Not that he would have stormed. Let's talk the whole thing over, he would have said. But the thread would have been lost at once. Here again, he's talking about his relationship with yes. his father. His arguments, I would not have valued a straw. The beauty of the authorized version, the Christian tradition. Oh, it was all sentiment. Nor could I, uh, it, was, uh, it was all sentiment. And if I tried to make my exact points clear, there would have been thunder from him and a thin peevish rattle from me, nor could the whole subject ever have been dropped. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a great moment in the film. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I, I mean, what, what did, what did, did you learn in the process of both creating the stage play and obviously doing the film about Lewis that perhaps you, you hadn't quite realized in, in, you know, before having obviously been a fan of Lewis for some time up to that point? Well, the, the thing I think everybody discovers with Lewis is you never get to the bottom of him. You know, that's why people keep coming back to him. Uh, it just is an, it's a bottomless pit, uh, mostly because his intellect and his emotion are so tied together. That's why it makes it really work theatrically. Uh, it all combines. So it's not like he's just a head, you know, where so many academics are, uh, or he's just this, you know, just all emotion where, you know, he brings it all together. And, and I think, uh, and, and he's so transparent. You know, I've always been uh, kind of struggling because he was a very private person that just uh, shouted from the rooftops his most private thoughts. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's a strange kind of um, yeah contradiction in terms, isn't it? But but I know exactly what you mean. He he he. 
he wasn't an extrovert exactly but he was yeah incredibly transparent when it came to his actual writing and, and very honest you know about his his shortcomings and and everything else um i mean to tell to, let's talk about the conversion itself because obviously that that's at the center of this film mm -hmm. and what many people don't realize is that this was a multi-stage journey that lewis went on do you want to just describe what those stages were and, and how you bring them out in the film yeah it's uh, it's a little tough uh, you know uh, lewis in uh, it, it what he describes it in pilgrim's regress or he he said it was you know he thought that his conversion was from atheism to idealism to pantheism to theism he says uh he thought that that it was a conversion a lot of people went through he says nobody goes through it like that he says <laughs> it was like he, he compared it to uh somebody's travels through the gobi desert as being as obvious to the general public as the rail from oxford to london <laughs> 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 you know, uh, <laughs> um and so he uh, he starts with uh, you know atheism and then idealism and that that sort of happens with Barfield, you know uh, it's like uh, are your moral and aesthetic uh, uh, is is your moral aesthetics valid uh, meaningful he says they are is is uh, is logic uh, does logic and deduction lead to uh, indisputable truth. He says it does. Mm. So, it, and so Barfield says then, well, your materialism has to be abandoned mm. Uh, mm. because otherwise it's all, uh, your materialism says that you have to trust your mind and you can't. Mm. Uh, it's all biochemistry and physics and, and, uh, and that just, uh, Lewis was shocked by that because his reasoning was it's all natural selection, random mutation, uh, allowing humans yeah. to have a reproductive advantage and, over and, other species. You kind of represent this in the film as as this conversation that happens in Lewis's rooms between himself and Barfield and and but what it was you know I recently reread Miracles by Lewis and and it was all you know chiming with that obviously so but are you saying that really it was Barfield who first kind of put those ideas in his head you know that he was the originator of, of at least challenged him I think they were already yeah. there uh, but they challenged him because you know he didn't want to have anything to do with the supernatural. Uh, his, he had something called the new look, which was to just be, you know, just the straight and narrow, uh, don't do anything that that's out there in the theological world, the supernatural world, uh, because he, you know, he, he also had a taste for the occult, uh, which mm. was something that I didn't uh, know. Uh, so anyway, so he's dabbling and I guess Barfield allowed him to to ground it into reality i think he makes a very famous statement uh in um uh where is it in surprise by joy that uh you know he said uh that my first step was to abandon the absurd notion that the universe is an arbitrary alternative to nothingness that was mm -hmm. the first step and that that led him to an idealism that god is out there uh, you know, if Hamlet and Shakespeare could ever meet, uh, it would have to be Shakespeare's doing. In, in Lewis's original uh, experience, uh, Shakespeare's way out there and Hamlet's down here, they never meet. Uh, and he says, but what if Shakespeare wrote himself into the play? Mm. And that's where it became more theistic for him, theistic in the sense of the God of the Bible, 
uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At one sense, he says, uh, my God was like the God of the Jews. Uh, and he couldn't come to terms with uh, Jesus until much, much later, uh, and particularly well, through that walk well, with well, Alistair. Well, well, let's get get this in, in place then, because obviously the title of the film and the stage play comes from a, a, a very well-known passage in, in Lewis's, I think it is a surprise by joy, where he, he says, he talks about one particular night in his rooms in Oxford when he's in turmoil and he feels like God has been chasing him down until finally he relents and kneels and prays. At that point, the most dejected and reluctant convert in the whole of England. Um, now, now, what is he actually at that point converting to? Because it becomes apparent, I think, in the film that he starts to go to church at that point. He starts to sort of take on, if you like, wants to do something to, to fly to his flag of, he says yeah fly his flag um but but it doesn't feel like he's kind of embraced at that point full-bodied christianity is that fair to say no but but uh what's very interesting is he embraces full-bodied theism mm. you know that god is real that god is god you know that uh that he owes his allegiance to the god who made the universe he just can't and so to you and I, who grew up in the Christian tradition, we immediately apply a Christian interpretation of that. But he said that I knew nothing of the incarnation. The God to whom I served was not human. That's, you know, but it was, mm. but he, but he did not think the universe was arbitrary. He thought the universe was purposeful and he owed his allegiance to his creator. So in, uh, so in a certain sense, he gives tremendous, uh, support to theism uh uh and i and i think we sort of discount that a little too yes. much yes uh, it, it's just so interesting though because there, there's these various moments you know, there's one thing where he's on a bus and he says by the time i walked off the bus you know i'd decided in my mind that that god existed and then you've got this sort of more kind oh, that's, of the, personal... that's the motorcycle ride yeah, that's the that's it, the motorcycle rider. Um, but the, but but all of these the, these various experiences and 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 but then and it's shot so very well. There is this famous walk again on um, is in the grounds of Magdalen College, isn't it? Um, with with a very another very very well known writer, J.R.R. Tolkien. So t t describe what this is, where <laughs> where you find this in Lewis's own um, memoirs, and and yeah, and how it's represented in the film. But what 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 the big yeah. point of this particular conversation was. Well, first of all, we have to kind of set up the fact that this is J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, you know, two uh, people on Mount Olympus, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, just regular everyday uh, colleagues at Oxford in, in uh, 1931, you know, hadn't written anything of any import at that time. Who knew what they were going to be? They're having a conversation that pretty much revolutionize the spiritual map of the world uh, from that point on. Uh, the, the key issue was that Lewis was said, uh, sort of admitted to Tolkien that uh, I, I have with great reluctance uh, come to believe in God, but not Christianity, he said. And that's a, you know, that's a key point because he couldn't understand how the life and death of someone else, whoever he was 2000 years ago, could help him or anyone else here and now. He just didn't get it. Didn't understand the Christian uh, revelation at all. Uh, and Tolkien takes a completely different path that, that really is, is 
quite extraordinary. He uses Lewis's, you know, they, they shared a common interest in mythology. Uh, uh, and uh, he says, and so Tolkien asks him, when you meet a god that sacrifices himself in a pagan story, and they're all over the place in pagan history, Boulder, Dionysius, Osiris, all over the place, Tolkien reminds him, you like it very much mm. and are mysteriously moved by it, provided you meet it anywhere except the Gospels. And then he makes the point out, the, 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 the story of Christ is a myth, working on us in the same way as other myths, with one tremendous difference. It really happened. It's the myth in which all the other myths point. It's the true myth behind all the myths. And for some reason, you know, I mentioned earlier about when that person said, you know, Jesus was person just like Lincoln, just like George Washington. That was a kind of moment for Lewis because it made him read the Bible differently, mm. read the Gospels differently. He, he Because in the past, he was probably reading it as a textbook, you know, uh, looking for prescription, you know. But here he was reading the story of a hero, the archetypal hero, where he saw the, you know, as Jordan Peterson would say, the, the worst possible thing happened to the best possible person. Mm. Uh, and it changed it because now he had to come to terms with Jesus. And in all this, you know, all of his, his apologetics about Jesus then come to light after yeah. that moment. It, it, it's a really interesting one because obviously up to that point, it had been a very intellectual journey, arguably. Um, at this point, it feels like he his imagination steps into that worldview and suddenly a penny drops. And it's as though, yes, this is what I was waiting for. This is why I because you know, we, we all know that Lewis, you know, was, was a huge fan, um, got so much joy out of the mythologies and the, everything that he was, you know, a scholar of. Um, and, and I think it was this point that that he realized it's real that it's not just I'm enjoying fantasy. It's that the fantasy becomes real in Jesus. There's, there's this sort of touch point with reality where I don't have to be an atheist materialist over here while simply enjoying these, these, the, you know, this other world that, that somehow bears no relation to it. No, these two worlds have, have come together. Um, and that's that I think, again, I think you do that so well in, in the book. Um, I, I feel a bit like, you know, you know, Tolkien had his own movie out not so long ago and, and that really underplayed, frankly, his his Catholic faith. Um, I feel like we need a Norman Stone version of, of the Tolkien of, story. Of, of as that, well. yeah, that could that could happen. That, that Who knows? Could. Who knows? Um, look, why why does Lewis remain so phenomenally influential and and indeed popular, especially in the USA? I mean, um, he's obviously still a great name here in the UK, but but if you know, it's often out of the US actually that I'm hearing the most you know 50 years over 50 years on from his death people are still uh wanting to write film talk about lewis what why why does what's the enduring appeal there max um you know i've been thinking about this more recently uh in many ways uh, listening to some of your programs because i think lewis is a bridge from the postmodern world that we're all steeped in you know, that, that we're educated in, 
which basically says here we have to live for the here and now and there's very little concern about this other world and Lewis is always talking about this other world and he makes that other world so compelling part of it is you know he didn't have a formal theological education so he comes to theology from a literary perspective, he, he read everything from the Greeks to the moderns. He had a steel trap mind that could recall everything he said. He had this extraordinary ability to, to translate that into magnificent prose and speech. Uh, you know, I think arguably he's one of the greatest writers who ever lived. You know, I mean, certainly in terms of, of the kind of writing, the kind of reading that I've done. You know, and I've read, I've read all of Shakespeare. I've read uh, uh, a lot of Dostoevsky. Uh, I've read less and less of moderns because they just don't do anything for me anymore. Uh, but I just find that he allows me to go places uh, supernaturally, imaginatively, theologically that I don't get to any other way. Mm, yeah, and and I think that's. You know, I, I, as you know, I, I work in the world of apologetics and uh, and we try and find creative ways of bringing it across. But Lewis was the, the supreme, had that supreme ability to use the imagination and creativity uh, through the written word to, to do that, whether it was Screwtape or Narnia or the Space Trilogy or whatever it was. He, he, he seemed to understand what actually was the winning combination, if you will, of bringing the intellect and the imagination together. I think that's what you've done with this film as well. If I, if I dare to say that, I think it's, it's a wonderful way in which you're, you're in that tradition, but sadly um, apologetics as a whole tends to remain very one-sided. It's, it's almost entirely an intellectual pursuit and most, and too often it's divorced from, from the arts, from the imagination. I mean, do you, do you feel like that's going to change? Do you feel like we're heading in the right direction? Because I feel like we need another C.S. Lewis or we all need to become a little bit more like C.S. Lewis. Well, I do uh, think we that's, that's true, but, uh, there's a, there was a quote, I think it was Austin Farrar and I, I'm, I'm, going to paraphrase it from memory uh but he 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 essentially says see if i can find it that uh yeah in fact it's 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 if you can bear with me it's yeah, probably worth ahead. finding uh because it comes at a uh, I'm, I'm writing a new play called further up further in it's going to be developed next year and uh he tells a wonderful story about uh uh he says, I do suffer from an incurable intellectualism. I love that. He <laughs> says, uh, of course, the direct evangelical appeal, come to Jesus, is still remarkably effective. He says, I've seen it done. I love that. Mm, I've yeah. seen it done. He says, <laughs> I that. can't do it. But those who ought to do, those who can ought to do with all their might. And he tells a story about a vicar who once asked him to make such an appeal at an RAF meeting during the war. And he said to him, I wish I could do the heart stuff. You do the heart stuff. I'll do the head stuff. Uh, but in this, uh, I was quoting Austin Ferrer. He says, uh, it's not that rational arguments create belief. He says, I don't believe that. He says, on the other hand, I do think the lack of it destroys conviction. And this is the key point. What is proved may not be embraced. But what no one defends is soon abandoned. 
I was really struck by that because, you know, we do get a little bit uh, uh, discouraged, you know, uh, by the apologetic enterprise, but we can't stop it. <laughs> Because I think this last point, and this is something Lewis believed, but what no one defends is soon abandoned. And that's what's happened at the American University. It's not that they think Christianity is nefarious. They think it's irrelevant. And so nobody defends it. The case is not made. Yeah. Right? It's assumed. So it's really important. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I guess it's been such fun talking to you max and and getting to spend some time uh just reliving yeah lewis and the the process that, that has come to be with this film now um uh you've you've got some screenings uh throughout november haven't you in yes. the usa uh what's the best way cslewismovie.com yeah cslewismovie.com i mean right now it's uh it's only it's only in america although we just opened up 43 screens in canada uh, this is, you know, th this is way beyond me. You know, we, we work with all the movie chains and, uh, uh, but it's, uh, I'm really happy to say, uh, uh, tickets are really moving fast, which does mean that if it's, you know, if it's moving fast, then the movie chains and those people that be the powers that be will open it up, uh, to worldwide release uh, after our American release. So I, I do think that, the, and particularly because the subject matter is so evergreen that I do think it's going to have a long life. Yeah. Well, whenever you're listening to this show, just, just check at cslewismovie.com and you'll find out what, what the best ways for where you are to be able to access the film. Um, I mean, do, does this mean the, um, the Fellowship of Performing Arts is moving generally in the direction of, of movie and oh, video, I, I, Max? I think so. I think so. In fact, Norman and I are, are, are uh, reading many, many scripts uh, to look at what's the next uh, film that we want to do. Uh, I mean, we're, we're always going to be a theatre company. In fact, we have The Great Divorce on stage right now. I mentioned briefly that uh, I'm working on a, on a new script that's a follow-up because after Lewis's conversion, it wasn't really obvious that he would become the person he became. So sure. what were the steps that led to that? And, and so the, the next piece is called Further Up, Further In, which I'm very, very excited about. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, what I was left with at the end of the film was thinking, but we've only just got to the point just before he really takes off now, you know, that there's a whole other story. And obviously others have told parts of that story in Shadowlands and, and other things. But right. but I, I, I wait with bated breath to see what, what you may have in store, Max. Um, Max McLean, thank you so much for being with me. It's been such fun catching up and all the very best as you continue to promote the film. I hope many, many people see it and, and benefit from it. Thank you so much, Justin been great to have you on again if you want to find out more about the film do just go to the website cslewismovie.com i'll make sure there's a link from today's show uh, so that you can find out more about it and uh, yeah I, I highly recommend it i spent the evening the other night with lucy watching it and we both really really enjoyed it so so go and check it out if you can thanks for listening to the profile here on premier christian radio this week you can catch the podcast anytime over at our website premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile and do check out premier christianity magazine as well see you next time